1: the host of the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show and inspirations for your life. hi, everyone, and welcome once again to another great edition of the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. Today, I can't believe it, we have just about got one more week left in the month of February, and we're in March. Pretty soon, I guess we're going to be seeing those May flowers. Well, hopefully. Today, we have an amazing show for you tonight. Uh, in case you didn't know, uh, we actually have um, Colonel Retired Wayne Phelps, who will be on a little later in the program, um, who will be interviewing about his latest book, On Killing Remotely, The Psychology of Killing with Drones. Uh, this is actually a two-part series because he's got so much information that we couldn't possibly Fit this into an entire show so definitely stay tuned for that uh, in the news speaking about uh, military the navy and the air force something interesting that i recently uncovered is that the navy has a new train car um that they're going to have for um basically all the firepower and tech that they're ever going to need for nuclear security so as you may or may not know Uh, train uh, robberies are not quite that common anymore. However, there are still some pretty precious uh, things that uh, travel on rail. And that's why um, they are putting together this special armored car. Um, And uh, it's a collaboration between the Navy and the United States Department of Energy. And it's going to be pretty interesting, uh, you know, what's being built and also, um, it'll get hooked up to uh, the ability to hold hundreds of tons of the spent nuclear fuel. And uh, the Navy train will carry the spent fuel rods from shipyards and uh, propulsion facilities on the east and west coasts to the naval reactor facility in Idaho Falls, Idaho, for inspection and for temporary storage before uh, the final disposal into the appropriate uh dry caskets which will then go underground so there's a lot of work that actually went into this and the planning and so you know when we think about things that are happening in our world a lot of times people say to me well gee you know we don't have to worry about that because that's something the military does or sometimes the uh, air force does or the marines do but you know the thing is they have to worry about things just like we do every day. I mean, they're people and they do things, and there's still a consequence to whether you do something or you don't do something. And I am just really glad to hear that they're really stepping it up and building something that is going to keep the transport safe and make sure it doesn't get into the hand of uh, any potential uh, bad actors. So, uh, kudos uh, to. Um, them and the navy and uh, of course uh the many people that are working on this including the u.s department of energy uh, i know they're working really hard uh to get this done and it's going to be pretty interesting um when this thing finally does get unveiled it looks like we're going to probably see the first signs of this right around 2024 so not too long Uh, From now that we're actually going to see the first, I guess, uh, rendition of that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I know um, that uh, you're always grateful for the wonderful content that we actually bring you here on the Jay Moore Tech Talk show. Tonight, I am really pleased to have um, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Wayne Phelps on our show. Um, This man is really amazing, uh, the things that he has done. He is a former lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps with 23 years of teaching, coaching, and mentoring teams ranging in sizes from 30 to 300 to exceed operational expectations in complex environments. Uh, He's passionate about uh, UAS drones, counter, UAS, and leadership. And the thing that uh, is really uh, remarkable about this gentleman is that, you know, he was right on the lines and working with people uh, that were using drones uh, to kill people. And he realized that there were things happening, but the story wasn't being told. And he decided to write a book on killing remotely. The Psychology of Killing with Drones, Lieutenant Lieutenant Colonel Wayne Phelps. Ladies and gentlemen, um, please help me welcome to the J. Moore Tech Talk Show Colonel, retired Wayne Phelps. So we can talk to him about some interesting endeavors, about what he learned, and about the book. And you guys all know that I read. All my guest books from cover to cover, ladies and gentlemen. Without any further ado, please help me give a warm welcome to Lieutenant Retired Colonel Wayne Phelps to the J Moore Tech Talk Show. Uh, welcome to the to the show, uh, Lieutenant Colonel.
2: Hey, John. Thanks for having me.
1: First of all, um, for those of you that don't know and haven't been following our social media for the last two weeks, we've been putting out lots of questions. And uh, we're doing a very special show because uh, there's so much great information that Lieutenant Colonel has to share with us that we couldn't put it all into one show. We're like less than an hour with our our breaks, like just around 45, 50 minutes. So we put them into two shows and we've been putting these questions out to you every single day. And I know that's why you're here tonight, because you actually want the answers. He authored an amazing book on killing remotely. The psychology of killing with drones. Uh, by Lieutenant Colonel Wayne Phelps, retired. So this book is an amazing book. And I have to tell you, if you're looking to understand how warfare gets done, uh, this is a great way uh, to uh, get a very firm understanding. But first I have to ask you Lieutenant Colonel, what unit uh, or uh, portion did you retire from?
2: Yeah, so I retired uh, as a Marine. my last unit, I was the commanding officer of Marine Unmanned Aerial Vehicle Squadron 3, or VMU 3, stationed in Kaneohe Bay, Hawaii. That was really oh, tough, wow. really tough duty station. Yeah.
1: Now, the, uh, the military, the Navy, they all like to use acronyms and not just Alpha, Bravo, Delta. And, and I was learning because I'm also a licensed ham, a general. And we say alpha, brava, delta, but uh, in the military, they say dog and some other things. They don't say the same letters, which I guess they do that just to be um, unique and, uh, <laughs> and kind of special. Uh, but uh, one thing I notice is the military, they like to be secretive, but they like to have a lot of acronyms like RPA, UCAV, HPT. What, what do those mean, actually?
2: Yeah, there, there's an acronym for everything. Um... So RPA is remotely piloted aircraft, uh, which is traditionally how the Air Force refers to drones. The Marine Corps, we refer to them as Unmanned Aerial Systems, or UAS. They've been called UCAVs, U-C-A-V, Unmanned Combat Aerial Vehicles, um, Unmanned Aerial Vehicles, UAVs, uh, all kinds of things. But uh, traditionally, these days, we refer to them as RPAs.
1: And there was another one I remember. Well, there's a lot in the book, uh, but there's another one you use, uh, HPT, and it's not a computer part. High performance uh, teams, I believe, or something like that. There was another one. So there's oh, just they're... a lot of acronyms. Yeah, you can yeah. have an acronym. I think there's an acronym for an acronym. Do they have a book <laughs> to tell you what the acronyms are? Because they're supposed to help you remember, but I think you need a full-time job just to be able to to know what acronym list to look at.
2: Yeah, it's usually referred to as a GOAT. The glossary of acronyms and text. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> or in terms, I believe glossary of acronyms and terms. Uh, yeah, there should be a boa though, a book of acronyms. <laughs> there are so. so one many. thing I
1: want to tell you is, it's an amazing book. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel sent this to me a long time ago, and uh, one of the things I do with all my guests is I actually read the books from cover to cover. It's an amazing book but I had to put it down a few times because there's just so much intent information and it's emotional. I mean, you can't write a book like this without it being emotional. It gets right on the front lines and even on the sidelines. But I felt like I was right there. I thought I was the person actually killing the person. I said, wait, maybe I better put it down because I don't know if I want to do this. So it definitely, um, it gets you very engaged and that's uh, very powerful for a text. So it was very well written and, and kudos to you on that. One thing that really uh, took me by surprise, because when I got the book and we had decided to uh, to interview you several months ago, I remember uh, saying, oh, this is going to be great because I'm going for my drone license. I said, gee, we're going to learn about drones and how they kill us. But it's a lot more than just talking about drones. There's, that's just like one little piece of the book, maybe a third or something. Um, what was really interesting to me in the beginning is you start out with a stone, a rock and a stick. So let's talk a little about the evolution of weapons. And I think a lot of people here will be very interested in that because it didn't just go to a gun. It didn't go to a fighter pilot, right? We started with a rock and a stone. Am I correct (laughs) about that?
2: Yeah. Uh, What I wanted to do was show that the evolution uh, of killing throughout human history has evolved uh, to create further and further distance between the, uh, the attacker and the victim. So I wanted to, I wanted to say like, you know, let's go back in their early conflict and say, you know, two humans fighting each other with their bare fists. And then one person said, hey, I can, I can kill this other person by throwing a rock or affixing a rock to a, a, a stick and throw it from a distance. And then I trace that, uh, that evolution of distance uh, really all the way through uh, humanity and through human history. And, and I talk about how You know, gunpowder changes everything and now you can you can kill from a further distance and that that introduces things like rockets and then you have, you know, GPS guided munitions, which makes it more effective. Um, Eventually get to a point where you have satellite communications, which allows you to control weapons uh, from the other side of the world. And finally, you get to a point where all of these technologies converge in one platform called the remotely piloted aircraft. Uh, Most people would would know the system I'm talking about as the Predator. In the Predator, you have uh, communications uh, from satellites. You have precision guided munitions like Hellfire missiles. And then uh, you have uh, robotics and autonomy and everything else that allows this platform to fly for a really long period of time. So you're able to control this thing from the opposite side of the of the planet, fly it for a long period of time. And then at the moment of your choosing, when it's tactically advantageous to you, you know, to pull the trigger on this missile and guide it all the way into a specific target. Uh, oftentimes we're talking about targeting humans or individuals that that we've followed for a very long period of time. So
1: you got an acronym for that too. If I remember in the book, uh, hopefully if I, if I remember all these acronyms, I hope I remember them all. Uh, I think it's a high value individual HVI or HVI. Something. Yeah. High value. There's a lot of terms. So,
2: yeah. <laughs> and that's the, that's the common term for it in the, in the military is a high value individual. That's, uh, somebody that you're looking for, like, um, uh, you know, a leader of a terrorist organization, something like that.
1: So the book starts out by, uh, again, we're not going to go through every page, but we're just going to give you a little bit of a a dichotomy of different parts of the book. So I hope you'll go out and get the book. Again, it's an amazing book. So we talk about this whole evolution of uh, weapons, which was really, really interesting. And then you start getting into the machine, a little about the people, Uh, And then um, you start to get to the mission and then you get to the methods. But right after that, you talk about something very interesting and you say there's three things necessary uh, to be able to kill somebody in um, the military or the government or anything, which kind of uh, caught me caught me off by by surprise uh, that that was actually, uh, you know, the way that is. So explain a little bit of that to us if you could
2: yeah, so the three things are the uh, the legal standing, the ethical standing, and the moral standing, right? So it first starts with the legal standing. you know, within international humanitarian law and the rules of engagement, uh, can we legally engage this target, this person, this you know piece of equipment? Um, is it considered a legitimate military target? Uh, so once once you've established that legally you can strike this target, uh, then you have to get into the, uh, the ethical and moral, uh, you know, rubric of this, uh, and, and the first thing is, you know, can we strike the target, uh, ethically, can we strike it? And then if we can morally, how should we strike the target? Like what, uh, you know, what weapon system should we use? Is it proportional? Is it, uh, going to cause undue suffering? uh, things like that.
1: That was another interesting thing that I, I learned in your book is that it seems like when you guys, um, are given an order to take the person out or kill them or what have you, mm-hmm. there's also a concern, which was really interesting and kind of, uh, uh, enlightening to me to know that, uh, the military and the Marines care a little bit, that they don't really want to take me out. If I'm next to you and they're going for you, they don't necessarily want to just hit any time because they don't want to kill an innocent bystander. As long as, let's say, um, you know, there were things, I guess, accountable and you have people around, and I guess there's a point where they come and they say, well, gee, you know what? We can afford to lose that person because of what, I guess they make certain decisions, right? When they do that.
2: Yeah, so what you're referring to, uh, obviously everyone's familiar with the term collateral damage or civilian casualties, right? And there's, um, we're, we're governed by international humanitarian law to avoid or mitigate civilian casualties anytime we can. Uh, There are instances where people have to weigh the the risk versus the gain of striking a target based off of how many civilian casualties might occur. And usually uh, this goes up levels of the chain of command depending on how high or how many people you uh, anticipate uh, will die in a strike. Uh, it can go all the way up to the, uh, the commander in chief, you know, the president himself uh, that has to make that decision. Uh, and oftentimes under President Obama, he was the one that was you know authorizing some of those strikes. saying, yes, the gain, the military gain is uh, is worth the risk of this many people actually dying. Uh, there's a
1: lot that goes into this. I mean, you know, I've always known that the military and the Navy and the Air Force, I mean, they're under tremendous stress. And there's a lot that they have to do. And there's a reason that they go through this training, because if they're not at the the mental aptitude to do what they need to do, their body's not going to perform. So I think that's why the training is so vigorous. It's not like, hey, you need to fire. You need to do this. It's a mental conditioning of the brain. Uh, to make sure that that person is I guess defined quote unquote as a soldier uh, and if you're not a soldier then you're just gonna have decisions and I think in the in the um, in the forces they don't want somebody to be making their own decisions they want everything through a very tactical it's like it's like you're saying there's a team pretty much <clears throat> excuse me that handles everything but you you state something very interesting in one of your chapters how do we kill an Rpa? Uh, Give our audience a little bit of an understanding. What were you trying to convey when you said, how do we kill with an RPA?
2: I wanted people to understand, um, you know, we we hear the term drone strike uh, quite frequently uh, in in the media, right? It's it's all over. Uh, Every time there's a strike, uh, people talk about it. But I don't think... um, your average citizen actually understands what that means uh, when we conduct a drone strike is other than the fact that a a drone fired a missile or or dropped a bomb on a specific target. I don't think they understand that there are humans um, that are operating the drone that are, you know, maintaining it, that are flying it, that are watching the video feed that's coming in and analyzing every aspect of it. Right. So it's, it's a it's a human endeavor. Uh, Would we use the term drone? It's kind of a, a misnomer that it, it's you know an autonomous object that's killing people. But what I wanted to uh, to show was that there is absolutely one hundred percent a human aspect to this. That there are still humans that are making the decision um, to kill. And
1: I think. That's an interesting tone uh, and the book kind of switches first you talk about the the weaponry and how it evolved and how I guess the process of killing quote unquote has changed to a more technological way to have less casualties and uh, something else that I thought was really interesting is that you mentioned the first time somebody kills someone uh, that really has some emotional scar on them which, A lot of us don't, you know, that's not something we think about every day, but this is something that they have to do as part of their job. And what can you say about that, Lieutenant Colonel?
2: Yeah, so I had three main objectives uh, to this book. I wanted to understand how we kill with uh, remotely piloted aircraft or drones. Uh, I wanted to understand how we responded to that. And lastly, I wanted to understand why we respond in that way. So when you're talking about how a person responds to killing uh, with a drone their first time, I found that uh, through interviews and surveys that I did, that that was uh, the most intense uh, responses that people had were the very first time, uh, as, as one would expect. You know, when you're doing something that significant in your life that you've never done before, uh, that's that serious in nature, uh, you you don't necessarily know how your body's going to respond to it. Um, you think you're mentally prepared for it, uh, your training prepares you for it, uh, you know, for all of the mechanical things that you perform in order to do that. Uh, but emotionally and cognitively, it's very difficult to be prepared for, uh, conducting your, you know, your first strike and actually killing another human. Uh, so what I found through interviews, uh, particularly was that, uh, people had the most intense responses during their first, you know, after their first strike some people would throw up. Uh, some people would have uh, sweats. Uh, uh, they would be shaking. You know, they'd have a lot of physiological responses to it, uh, which I thought was uh, very interesting because the physiological responses that they had: uh, tunnel vision, oral exclusion, um, you know, heart heartbeat racing over one hundred and seventy beats per minute, um, memory distortion. All of these things. Uh, have been studied in lethal force encounters for people that have them face to face whether it's military or, or law enforcement officers right they've they experience these same things like you know minutes seem to take hours or hours go by and you know just a few seconds they have trouble remembering details uh they, they can see fine details of uh, of objects but can't remember other things right so you It seems almost illogical that RPA crews would experience these same physiological responses from 7,000 miles away, but they they do.
1: The thing I find interesting about that is that, you know, I guess there's a term, uh, I know there was a term mentioned in your book, there's a lot of terms. One was when the person is actually um, a day pilot where they come and do their job and then they go home at night. We don't think about that, but there are a lot of people that I guess, kind of do this job and then they go home. They're either have a family or maybe they're alone, but when they go home, they have to compartmentalize their life and they're not really supposed to talk about what they did on the the job. Uh maybe they share some general details, but they can't get specific. And maybe they do get specific, who knows. But my thing is they've just had dinner with their family or maybe been home and Watch some TV, watch some football, or uh, had some dinner, and now they go to bed, and they got to get up, and they got to do it all over again.
2: Yeah, John, what you're referring to is uh, a byproduct of the uh, something the Air Force has has chosen to do called remote split operations, or RSO. And the way that's conducted is you have a crew that is forward deployed close to the fight. They take care of uh, you know, maintenance, fueling, arming the drone, getting it ready, they launch it, you know, they take it off, they fly it to a specific location. And then over a satellite communication link, they hand it off to a crew that's flying it for the tactical portion of the mission. And most of those crews are stateside. Uh, a lot of them are you know, outside of Las Vegas, at, you know, Creech Air Force Base. And then that crew will fly this mission for you know, eight, 10 hours at a time. Um, perhaps they, you know, have something that goes kinetic or they strike a target during that, uh, that mission.
0: You don't have to live with chronic pain. Downtown's Health can show you a better way. Joint pain, back pain, pain that sits and waits. Downtown's Health offers an alternative with physical and regenerative therapy. Call Downtown's Healthcare at 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown.
2: And then they'll get in their car at the end of the day and they'll drive home and, you know, be with their family, uh, you know, pick up milk on the way home or, uh, you know, <laughs> attend their daughter's you know dance recital. It's, it's crazy.
1: And they got to just, you know, live a regular life like every one of us does. And then they have a second life. Only their second life is it's secret. But some of it you know about and other parts you don't. Kind of one of those jobs I say, Well, gee, if I tell you, I'm gonna have to take you out. So you know, of course they're joking, but you know it, the thing that gets me really interesting. If somebody does this, and let's say, you know, I don't know anybody uh, besides yourself that actually has maybe shot probably shot somebody down. What what happens if somebody takes out um a high value uh individual or target? Do they get to go home once they've done that? I know they get points and they get increased in their bonus when they hit, because some I was learning in your book actually fail on purpose because they're not ready to make uh, the kill. Can you elaborate a couple of those?
2: Yeah, I I, I wouldn't say there's a point system, right? It's, um, there definitely is, isn't something like that where it's points or bonuses for the more people you kill, right? That's, that's actually just part of your job uh, if you're flying uh, drones. Um, but there are people, in certain instances uh, that are aircrew that have resisted uh, the demand for for an airstrike uh, or they have missed on purpose i've interviewed people that said they they didn't necessarily agree with the request for the strike uh, but they didn't want to s- flat outright say you know i'm, I'm not going to support you instead they would they would miss uh the target or they would say something like, "You know, we're out of fuel and we we can't support you." So, um, the pilot in command, the, the person that's responsible for the mission, uh, the pilot of the vehicle, is you know they have the overall authority to say yes or no if they're going to support something. So, if something doesn't meet one of those three things that I mentioned earlier—the legal, ethical, or moral uh, standard—then that pilot in command can refuse to to strike that target.
1: Couple questions that come to point. How many people are on a typical RPA team? Cause it's a team really. How many people are on that team beside the, let's say the main pilot?
2: Yeah, it really depends on the service um, that we're talking about, you know, between the Air Force, Marine Corps, Army. Um, okay. But But typically what you'll have is a pilot that is taking care of flying the aircraft and a sensor operator. Uh, which maneuvers the camera uh, and then guides missiles and things onto the target. Uh, and then some sort of intelligence analyst uh, for support. And that intelligence analyst can be embedded with the crew or they could be removed at another location. Um, in the Air Force, you also have an entire intelligence enterprise that are there to assist you. So they're looking at the you know the video feeds and they're, uh, helping with positive identification of targets, you know, they're, uh, all of those kinds of things that you would think intelligence analysts would do. So,
1: M- making sure that you're actually on the target, that you're not 260 degrees off the target, and we're actually fired. Now, who actually fires uh, the 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 missile or the detonation? Which which crew member is responsible for that?
2: So it's it's combination. It's split between both the pilot and the sensor operator. The pilot actually fires the missile. And oh, the, okay. And the sensor operator guides it onto the target. So okay. The, so if you've seen any videos where, where you see a missile coming in, you'll usually see crosshairs, right? And that crosshair yes. crosshair yes. really is, is where uh, the point of impact is supposed to be. So what happens is you'll have a laser that's firing onto that target. And the the seeker head on the missile is guiding towards that laser spot. So, So that spot is controlled by the sensor operator. So wherever they put that spot is where the missile's gonna go.
1: So you could actually fire as the pilot, and technically it might not be all in their emotional head, because it's really the sensor operator that actually gets it to be delivered. Am I correct on that or no? Because I think they, the sensor operator could still I could fire, but then the sensor operator, because if they're not ready for it to hit, they could let it hit a building or something. Am I correct? Or
2: I you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't think I wouldn't think that the sensor operator would, would do that. I think okay, uh, you know, the only time that the sensor operator is gonna move the crosshairs away from the target. Is when the uh, the situation on the ground changes after the missile has been launched. So, think about a, you know a missile from so many kilometers away has a certain right. t- a certain time of flight to get to the to the target. Uh, if something changes at the target during that time, like say a, a child walks towards the target that you're trying to strike, mm-hmm. then the missile's already in flight. You still don't want to strike the target, so you might shift. The crosshairs to a location uh, where you're not going to kill those individuals
1: now when we say and you mentioned the book about the person could possibly miss the target what are we referring to what type of a tactical mission is is it the rpa or is it more of a different type of uh weapon when we say that they they may intentionally miss the target what are we referring to what type of detonation i guess
2: Yeah, that situation I was referring to uh, an RPA firing a firing a missile, uh, where they would intentionally uh, move the crosshair off the target. Okay, okay. So so that uh, so it looked like they were not a good you know professional cohesive crew, as opposed to just you know. But really, the pilot
1: when he presses that button, he's out of the game. I mean, he's out of the out of the after that, right? Once he presses that button. It's all the, the sensor operator's job from there. Am I correct?
2: Uh, well, yes and no. They're both, oh. you know, they're working as a crew. So the sensor operator at that point is, uh, is focused on, you know, where the, where the missile's going. The pilot is still focused on flying the airplane uh, to keep uh, the sensor stable so we can guide it onto the target. Uh, and the pilot's also uh, assisting with, making sure nobody else is moving into the target area uh, so there's no unnecessary uh, or unwanted collateral damage.
1: Speaking about collateral damage, who is most affected, Lieutenant Colonel, uh, when we talk about RPAs and killing, who who's the one that gets the most brunt of the impact of this, that feels it? Do you mean on the crew? Uh, yeah, on the crew, yes.
2: You know, through the study I did, uh, it was there wasn't one distinctive category of uh, of person uh, that that had the, the brunt of the you know traumatic experiences. Uh, and I asked questions of you know prying nature, like how many people that they had killed, how many strikes they'd been involved in, their age, their crew position, their education. Uh, All of those things. Um, In the end, it it came down to things that were very similar in nature. There were uh, three incidents that were most likely to cause a negative response uh, to killing or a traumatic experience. And that was watching a target for a long period of time before striking it. So oftentimes we'll conduct pattern of life missions where you can follow this target for, you know, hours, days, weeks, months, all, years, sometimes before we're striking this target uh, and the same crew might have the same mission over and over. So they're, they're really developing this one-sided intimacy with the target. Uh, and then they, they wait for that time where it's, uh, where it's tactically advantageous for them to strike the target where it's, you know, free from collateral damage, and then they can strike. Uh, but they've been watching this person for you know, for a long period of time, and then they're really recognizing the humanity mm-hmm. of that individual. So there are certain instances where that has caused some some negative responses, uh, which could lead to post traumatic stress disorder. Uh, that's that's the first one. There's there's a couple other if uh, if you allow me to talk about sure. those, John. Absolutely. The, sure. The, the the second one is. Um, Any time that we observe uh, friendly forces on the ground wounded or killed in action, and we failed to prevent that from happening, right? We and the RPA community, we kind of view ourselves as the guardian angel. You know, we're, we're overhead. We have the ability to see uh, a wide area. We have the ability to affect things with you know listening to, to listening to things. We have the ability to uh, affect. Uh, operations by striking a, a target really precisely, and any time that uh, we're supporting friendlies on the ground and we can't prevent them from uh, from being wounded or killed, uh, we we feel guilty, right? There's some survivor guilt going on there. So that's um, that's the second item, uh, and the the third item um, escaping my mind right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> i have to come back to that one no problem (laughs) i'll think of it here in a second
1: while while you're thinking about that you know you posed another interesting question um well there's a lot of interesting questions but another thing that really interested me was uh you know i've been doing this pol um uh pattern of life survey for quite a few weeks or months and i'm like waiting to fire and i've been waiting and waiting and all of a sudden i don't know it's my vacation day or i have a special leave day that i need to take care of something and then i come back to work that following week because they say it's going to take weeks for us we're going to be surveilling this person for months might even be a year and all of a sudden that person comes back and they come back angry because they're starting to look for the target, and they can't find the target, and they're like, "Well, what happened?" Oh, Joe uh, shot him yesterday. And there's that kind of resentment, is there? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that was something that really opened an eye for me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I just, I just recalled the the third incident. And um, anytime there's civilian casualties um, during a strike, uh, it, and we could all understand how that would affect somebody negatively right i mean we we don't want to uh, to harm innocent civilians uh, anytime we're conducting military operations and when that happens it, you know it's it's fairly devastating for the for the crew so what you're referring to john uh, that, that i talked about in the book um, somebody can be working on a, a target say a high value individual and watching this target for for a very long period of time. And they they take a day off, they come back and somebody has struck their target when they're gone. Um, oddly enough, several people told me that they were pissed off that this happened. And not because they felt like uh, it was their right you know, to, to kill that person, but I think it's because the amount of time uh, an emotion that they had invested uh, in this mission, uh, that they felt like uh, they wanted to see it through to completion, yeah, and I think that's a natural human response to anything that we we put a lot of work and energy and effort into. Right, we want to see it through to completion, and if somebody swoops in at the last minute and uh, and, and does the the one percent, which may be the hardest part, but then takes all the credit for it. Uh, all of your efforts up to that point, uh, I don't wanna say they seem in vain, but uh, they seem incomplete. Right? so people would tell me that that was that was a real issue for them.
1: There's a lot of very, uh, how can I say, um, sensitive topics and very emotional things that uh, uh, a Navy uh, military man or, or service lady have to go through or Air Force And, you know, we think of it as being very stressful, but asking somebody to kill someone, you have to remember, it's being done for our country. Uh, We're almost out of time for this show, but uh, don't worry. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Phelps is actually going to come back again. Uh, He's got so much information to share with us, and we have a short show. So uh, we're going to have him come back. He'll be back here again next week at the same time uh, in the middle of our segment. And we're going to be going over more about are we at war? We're going to talk about dehumanizing. What does um, you know the Marines and the military do for that? And how do we continue to do our job? And another interesting point we'll, we'll hit, and many others, we're gonna talk about how the Marines compare a video game to using the RPA. And it's a lot different than what you and I would think if we're big gamers. So you're not gonna to wanna to miss that. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Wayne Phelps, I have to tell you, it has been a pleasure um, Not easy to read this book, but it has been a pleasure to appreciate what you went through and a lot of other people do every single day. And it makes me very grateful uh, that we have other people out there that are here because they're here to protect our country. And I have to believe that that's why they're doing it. And that's the the juice, I guess, that allows them to fire when they get emotional and then they're shown, well, look what he did or he killed these 10 people. I think that's what drives it home and says, hey, we're going to kill this person right? It's when they've seen what they have do bad. Am I correct on that?
2: Yeah, absolutely, John. Yeah. yeah All right, ladies and gentlemen. So <laughs> again,
1: thank you very much, uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel. And uh, we'll be back um, next week, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the J Moore Tech Talk show. Uh, but if you missed any of this, of course, you can catch the replay. There's a lot of nuggets here. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Lieutenant Colonel. And we will see you back uh, next week.
2: Thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. It's been
1: my pleasure. Wow, that was an interesting interview. And this is only just scraping the surface. I mean, next week, we're going to have him back again to talk about some other things that we didn't have time for tonight. I mean, just hearing from him about, you know, the way weapons evolve from something that was as simple as a rock and a stone all the way up to automated um, UAS. and and drones, and also the thought, the effort, and the teams that get put together. There's so much that um, is at stake. And also, there's so many things they have to think about. So I am really grateful uh, to uh, Lieutenant Retired Colonel Wayne Phelps uh, for taking time to be with us tonight. And I also Uh, I'm very grateful for having him back next week, right here on the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. That is going to be February 25th. You are not going to want to miss that one as well. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So digging a little bit more into what's going on, uh, let's talk about what the Marines are up to. So there is um, a um, concern about, you know, what's been going on with uh, covid And according to the CDC, 3,960 fatal unintentional drownings have occurred, including boat-related drownings. And this happened in 2020. Now, they've been trying to locate missing people and, you know, give families closure so they can move on with their lives. But what you didn't know is that it takes lots of money and diving teams hours, days, weeks, and months to prepare and to do everything they need to for this mission in these bodies of water that are all around. Now, there is a brand new piece of equipment uh, that is being rolled out. It's called the Sonar Equipment critical to search and recovery. So they have something um, that actually employs side scan sonar technology, and it allows a search and recovery team to actually scan the local waterways quickly and to gather a detailed image of the bottom, regardless of the water clarity. I mean, I think this is pretty amazing, and this is a kudos out there to the technology that we have, because there's just so much out there that we have just only started to scratch the surface at. So knowing that rescue teams can actually go out there and find people quicker. I think that's pretty amazing. I'd like to take a quote from uh, Lieutenant Thomas Grady. And he said, I quote, the side scan has been a great tool It has allowed us to do our searches and only put our divers in the water if we see something we want checked out." Close quote. I feel that this is absolutely amazing. Knowing that a piece of technology can help save workers time, give them the ability to have more safety, and allow them to do more rescue missions. A few of these many teams using uh, the Fishers side scan sonars are Columbia County Sheriff's Department in New York, the Union Fire Company in Pennsylvania, Webster Rescue Squad in Massachusetts, Livingston Parish Office of Homeland Security in Louisiana, Midland County Sheriff's Department in Michigan, Wheeling Police Department in West Virginia, Chattanooga County Emergency Services in New York, Miami-Dade Police Recovery Unit in Florida, and the U.S. Navy's EOD Technology Division. Wow. I am not only impressed, but really inspired that we have Companies working together with our military, uh, Air Force, um, Marines, Navy, that we have all that together to really form a cohesive unit to give us the best possibility and probability to rescue people in the most quickest, efficient, and cost effective ways possible. This is something that was not around uh, a long time ago. So kudos. Uh, to this uh, recent uh, discovery. Well, something else uh, that's uh, starting to surface in the news with marine technology is the IX Blue SAS for iFremers new 6000M rated AUVs. So this is a synthetic aperture sonar, and the SAMS-150 offers a seabed mapping solution suited to develop sea autonomous vehicles. Uh, the in Ferrometric SAS sonar allows for simultaneous real-time imaging and high-resolution bathymetric mapping of the seabed. That is pretty amazing. So we saw where we were with this small Fisher technology. Now we're really starting to put this on bigger boats and vessels to help us really deploy this technology. I'd like to make a quote. The ULYX AUV is capable of diving down to 6,000 meters and navigating on mapping profiles or in a quasi-stationary flight near the bottom," close quote," said Jan Operbeck, the project manager for the development of the ULYX system at Ifrmer. I like to make another quote. It is equipped with a suite of state-of-the-art sensors to produce a set of data. On the explored area, high-resolution imagery, bathymetry data with the Sam's One Hundred and Fifty multi-beam bathymetry and optical images, aided by a laser profiler for photogrammetry. For (laughs) photogrammetry, and this is pretty amazing that we have this type of technology. Close quote. I think it just shows that when we use the technology and the research from r d and we start to apply it to life concepts it really can make a difference in our lives and everyone else and as i've said before ladies and gentlemen the only reason we're here is for two main reasons to become better versions of ourselves and to help everyone else become better versions of themselves well ladies and gentlemen i am so grateful to um mr lieutenant Retired Colonel Wayne Phelps and for also um, him sending me this book. Uh, Actually, he said this to me a while ago, and it took me a while to read it. It was a very emotional book. It really gets into the facts about what people behind the scenes are actually doing with drones. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have not already scan that QR code at the top. What are you waiting for? Scan it. You'll get my link tree and lots of great information about all the other types of content that I produce. And there's a lot more than just the J Moore Tech Talk Show. I want to thank you for allowing us to reach 1,000 downloads. It is unfortunately time to say goodbye, but remember, next week, February 25th, I'll be here again, and we'll be talking more with uh, Lieutenant Retired Colonel Wayne Phelps about on killing remotely, the psychology of killing with drones. You are not going to want to miss that. Have yourself a wonderful rest of your evening, a great weekend. Hey, why don't you go to Amazon or your local bookstore and pick up this book? And then maybe you'll be a little ahead of us and you can uh, get even more engaged. I encourage you to comment uh, between you know, the shows. So if there's any other questions that pop up, I'm happy to, to share those uh, with the tenant Retired Colonel Wayne Phelps, uh, in my next interview. Have yourself a wonderful rest of your night and weekend.
0: Don't let being treated for pain be a pain. Come to Downtown's Healthcare, 950 17th Street in Denver. Find out how to reduce pain naturally, without surgery, without drugs. Call Downtown's Healthcare, 303-292-9992. Now in Lowry or downtown.